Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. So I have a really interesting episode for you today. And if you're looking at just the title and you see pelvic pain, you may not identify with that. And I talk about it in this episode, but I don't think that I personally experienced pelvic pain or I didn't until I listened to this episode and heard the range of symptoms and kind of presentations that we don't commonly think of as being associated with pelvic pain, but they actually are. So it was super fascinating. It's also a really fun conversation. I mean, we're talking about medical conditions and pain and the mental, emotional aspect of some of these things and conditions like endometriosis and PCOS and treatment and diagnosis and complications. But we're also talking about some more lighthearted things. We're talking about sex. We're talking about earmuffs if you have kids in the car, dick size and things like that. So it's a really fun, really fascinating conversation. And I just really adore my guest. So I'm talking to Dr. Sonia Balani. She is also known as the pelvic pain doc. And her path to becoming a pelvic pain specialist was kind of an unconventional one. So she completed her OBGYN residency and it was there that she saw how women were suffering from pelvic pain in silence or spending years searching for answers without finding relief. So she listened to her gut She veered from the traditional course and she pursued a fellowship in the Department of Urology, working with pioneers in the world of pelvic pain. So having trained in these two areas, she has a unique perspective on women's health issues of all kinds. And through her practice, Dr. Balani focuses solely on the medical and procedural treatment of pelvic pain. Her training has given her the ability to take a holistic view of common women's health issues. She takes a compassionate, patient-centric approach and listens to her patients to gain a deep understanding of their challenges. And this allows her to develop a comprehensive, personalized treatment plan aimed at addressing the issue from all angles to improve patients' quality of life beyond what they thought possible. And I just have to say, she has 
changed the lives of some people that are close to me through her work. So if this is something that you are struggling with, or if you hear this episode and you hear a symptom that maybe you have had and you've kind of been discounted and you want to pursue this, definitely reach out to her. She's amazing. She's so knowledgeable, so nice. And I think that she is an amazing advocate. So in this episode, we are talking about how so many symptoms that we experience are interconnected. And we talk about how these symptoms we may not realize are associated with pelvic pain. We talk about pain during intercourse, what's normal and what's not. We talk about pain with IUDs. We talk about vaginismus, which I didn't know about until today. We talk about, like I said before, the mental and emotional aspect of pelvic pain, if there is one and how it presents and how it affects the symptoms. And then we talk about sex, sex positions, whether size matters, both size of someone's penis and size of somebody's vagina. We talk about the various treatments of pelvic pain. And we also talk about the symptoms, the diagnosis, and the treatment and sometimes treatment complications of conditions like endometriosis, which people always ask me about, and PCOS. She talks about how certain hormones produce these inflammatory cytokines that can cause pain. We talk about birth control and how long-term birth control can cause pelvic pain issues. We talk medications and off-label use of medications. We talk Botox for your vagina. We talked about low-dose naltrexone, which I found to be really fascinating. We talked about supplementing oxytocin, which I also found to be really interesting. So like I said, just such a fascinating episode. So please enjoy Dr. Sonia Balani. Welcome, Dr. Balani. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have you here. I've known about you and your work for a long time, it feels like. I've heard you on other podcasts and I've just heard people reference you before, but I never knew anything really about your kind of main focus and, and what your practice is, which is primarily pelvic pain, right? Yeah. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your medical background and how you landed on pelvic pain? Yeah. That's so, first of all, thank you. That's so kind. But it's so interesting because I'll have people come to my office and they say the same thing. They kind of say, I didn't know a doctor like you existed. And it's because we often don't talk about these issues. But in terms of my background, I initially did my residency here in the city at New York Presbyterian in OBGYN. And then as I was finishing up, I noticed a lot of women were coming in with GYN issues, but then also urological issues. So my path is a little non-traditional in the sense that I went on to do a fellowship in the Department of Urology, where I worked with really like 23 male partners, I think it was. I was like one of the only females in that practice, but where I got to see women and men who had both urological and gynecological dis disorders. And I mean, it's been the best fit for me because I get to look at the body more as a whole. I think as physicians, we tend to compartmentalize the body and it often does a disservice to patients or to really any of us that may be having multiple things and we're not sure how it's connected. Mm -hmm. So what really made me want to go into the field, though, is because I would see women suffering from recurrent UTIs, recurrent BV, painful sex, even just 
issues of like difficulty sitting sometimes after long bike rides and they had no clue where to go. And they were often tossed around from a gynecologist to a urologist to a physiatrist to a a physical therapist and they had no clue where to go. And so I thought this is just a really great niche to be able to practice medicine more holistically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And initially I felt like, well, I don't really think I've ever dealt with pelvic pain. And then I listened to you on other podcasts and I realized like the spectrum of what is considered pelvic pain is so broad. I mean, it can be anything from putting a tampon in to pain during intercourse to like you're saying pain sitting and, you know, UTIs. And and so can you talk a little bit about that spectrum? So if anybody listening is like, well, I don't know if that's me. I mean, do you feel like everybody is affected by it in one way or another? Exactly that. Yes. So, you know, if you look at the data, they say somewhere around 11 to 25 percent of women will experience some sort of pelvic floor. And I hate the word, but I'll use it disorder at Mm -hmm. some point in their lives. Now, I would venture to say that that number is exponentially underestimated simply because these issues are so stigmatized and oftentimes fleeting. So we think, wait, that's not really me. But Pelvic floor disorders can vary from urological symptoms, so things like frequency, urgency, feeling like you have a UTI and going to your doctor and them saying, no, you don't have a UTI, but being placed on antibiotics. They can vary from vaginal infections or feeling like you're having a vaginal infection or itching. They can kind of present as pelvic pain or or pain during sex or even pain with placing a tampon, like you said. And then you can also see this a lot in athletes. And we'll talk about why I'm sure as we move forward. But oftentimes my CrossFitters or my bicyclists will get discomfort in their either their rectal area or their vaginal area, and they're unsure why. And then it can kind of bleed its way into other aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's such a vast kind of symptomatology, I guess you could say. So when somebody comes to you and they're experiencing one or many of these symptoms, where do you start? I think the most important thing that we can do is to start by just talking. You know what I mean? Kind of like we're doing today. Because sometimes there are certain symptoms that you don't even realize are related. So like, for example, I'll have patients come into my office and they'll say, you know, I've noticed more recently that I go to the bathroom a lot more. Like I have to pee a lot more. You know, I've always had a shy bladder. And I notice when I'm stressed out, I just have to pee so much more. But like, that's nothing, right? So like, let's talk a little bit more about why I'm getting these recurrent infections, even though my cultures are negative. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. Actually, that symptom that you describe as as a shy bladder is actually related to all of this other stuff that's going on. So, I mean, sitting down and just kind of asking about symptoms is the most important thing. And then really doing like a very good exam of the area, because more often than not, the answer is in the nuances, is in these small details of history, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I was thinking about myself, I was like, well, I've Luckily, you know, I haven't really experienced many of these things. But one of the things that you mentioned, I believe, was like pain when you're getting an exam and the spectrum goes in. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that pelvic pain or does everybody have that? Is that normal? Because I feel like so many of these things are just normalized. They're just things that you deal with as women. Pain putting in tampons, pain during sex, during certain positions, pain when you're getting an exam. Like where 
where do you draw the line between normal and something that may be, you know, the quote unquote disorder? Exactly this. So we normalize pain with speculum exams all the time. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be that the doctor is using too big of a speculum. That that can be the case, right? Because it's not really a comfortable entity. Like it's a sharp <laughs> kind of like it can be plastic. It can be steel. It's either like very way. Medieval feeling. Yeah, very medieval. Yeah, very medieval, right? Very kind of barbaric yeah. in a sense. But If there is what I call exquisite discomfort, meaning you're placing a speculum into the area and you're like, ooh, ah, that really does not feel good. It should not feel that uncomfortable. Just like if for for people who have an IUD, putting in an IUD shouldn't be super uncomfortable. Mm. Just like certain sexual positions shouldn't be so uncomfortable. Just like we normalize cramps during our period as normal, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh, don't worry about it. I have to lay in bed because I have my period as if that's just should be okay, you know? So, I mean, I would say that if you're getting a speculum exam and every, you're kind of dreading going to the GYN because you're like, oh, I know this is going to be uncomfortable, then it's an issue. And I say that only because it can manifest itself in a different way later on in life. So I have like a lot of patients who'll come to my office and they'll say, I've always had issues with the speculum exam, but I figured that was just normal. Mm -hmm. But more recently, after I've been crossfitting and sat on a plane for a long period of time, I've noticed that sex has become a little more uncomfortable. And so you don't realize that that issue with the speculum placement was setting the tone for the rest of the things that may occur later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how can it kind of snowball? Like, how could it start as something Mm -hmm. seemingly kind of benign and insignificant, something you only experience once in a while like that? What can it turn into if it goes untreated? So, It's so great. I love this. Okay, so partly we don't realize that our pelvic floors are, they take care of our urination patterns, our bowel patterns, and it's like blood pressure. They are not static, right? Our pelvic floors move, their nerves, their muscles. If we have long-term inflammation, long-term inflammation can present itself as we call trigger points in the pelvic floor. These are basically little balls of inflammation. Now, sometimes when we do an exam, these can be asymptomatic. But if they're there and we have what I call fuel to the fire, so we have either a UTI or we have something that increases inflammation or we have some sort of neuromuscular change, like we're sitting for long periods of time or we have a hip injury, that's adding fuel to that fire, right? So now that baseline asymptomatic hypertonicity, and I hate to sound too wordy, but you get what I mean, Mm -hmm. that baseline can actually turn into something more problematic and symptomatic. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. I, when I started doing this, I was training with this guy named David Wise, and he wrote this book called A Headache in the Pelvis. But it's essentially that how pelvic floor dysfunction is really a headache in the pelvis. It can be akin to migraines, okay? And he's like, so Sonia, before we do this, why don't you go see my physical therapist? And I was like, okay, great. And so my nerd self like brings my wand and I bring what's called an algometer, which measures your pressure because I'm like, I just want to see what's happening. And she puts the wand in my pelvic floor. And she says, Dr. Balani, you have pelvic floor dysfunction. And I was like, I do. I'm completely asymptomatic. I mean, I've never had issues with painful sex. And to be honest, my periods have been okay. Like, I don't feel like this fall, I fall into the category of this. I had two kids. And after I had my second 
boy, I noticed that I was just going to the bathroom more frequently. I noticed that sitting in certain ways was giving me discomfort. So, you know, it's like the perfect storm at a certain time. But that's why I think it's so important to draw awareness to these issues, because you don't have to present with 10 out of 10 pain to be someone that falls into this category that can seek treatment and basically never have to worry about it again. Have you ever been on the hunt for a new doctor and you ask literally everyone you know for their recommendation, like somebody who will spend time with you, who will listen to you, who will make you feel super comfortable? And finally, after weeks of searching, you find the one only to call their office and find out that their next available appointment is in like three months. I know we have all been there. And I also know that this is happening more often than not lately. So ZocDoc is here to help. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We are talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for the ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you are searching for. These doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients, not bots. And you can find a doctor who's available within 24 to 48 hours. And you can even score same-day appointments. So I talked about finding my new favorite OBGYN on ZocDoc. I was having an issue where I had to have imaging done immediately and I could not find a doctor who could get me in before like two to three weeks. It was so frustrating. So I went on ZocDoc. I found one who was really highly rated and reviewed, was in Santa Monica and saw me the next day. She was incredible. So if you are looking for a new doctor or a specialist, you can download ZocDoc today. Go to ZocDoc.com slash blonde and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash blonde. ZocDoc dot com slash blonde. I was at Sephora yesterday and I was actually blown away by how many clean beauty brands there are and not just how many there are, but the quality of the products that they're putting out. Clean beauty is really not what it was a few years ago back when clean meant really minimal and also not really effective. I remember a few years ago, I could not find any clean foundation or blush or concealer or anything that I really liked that I found to be effective. This is something that Annie Lawless and I talked about when she was on the podcast a few years ago when she founded Lawless, which is carried at Sephora. She was trying to fill that gap in the market because she loves a full face of makeup. She likes coverage. She likes highly pigmented colors. And that was really hard to find in the clean space back then. So she has amazing products. Yesterday, I got a refill of my Ilia Skin Tint Foundation. I love this. I've been using it for years when I want really light, kind of barely there coverage. It also has zinc oxide, so really good SPF protection, and it just gives you that dewy glow. I also picked up one of their cheek and lip stains, which I've been loving for summer to just give me that dewy, rosy glow as well. Summer Fridays also has a really great cheek and lip stick, and 
Then I've talked about this one before, but Westman Atelier Baby Cheeks, that lip and cheek cream stick is incredible. Clearly, I am all about the multi-purpose products right now. And I just think for summer, when I think we all kind of like a minimal no makeup makeup look to have a product that you can use on your cheek and your lips for that kind of flushed, healthy summer glow and just a light foundation with SPF is really all that you need. So you can find everything at sephora.com slash clean. They have such a huge range of clean products and it makes it really easy to browse and navigate and find the products that you want to try. So again, you can learn more at sephora.com slash clean. And just like that, your favorite besties and tastemakers, Benito Skinner and Mary Beth Barone are back. Did you miss us? You know they did. Join us every Wednesday on your way to Sephora to hear our witty, ridiculous and irreverent musings on life, the universe, existence and of course what we currently ride for. You're going to absolutely live slash die for this podcast. You might even, dare we say, ride for it. Let's talk about pain during intercourse. I feel like that is another thing that's kind of normalized and, you know, certain positions can hurt for some people. What is the spectrum when it comes to pain during intercourse? Like, again, what's kind of normal and what is something that might be some of this pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah. Pain during intercourse shouldn't be normalized at all, in my opinion. So sex should be pleasurable. And what I always tell patients is the absence of pain is not pleasure, right? So like we often say in in sexual health, like, oh, I have a little bit of pain with initial penetration. That and and you can hear other doctors say things like sometimes like, well, have a glass of wine before sex. You're just mm-hmm. anxious, you know. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, okay. Like, th- there's many reasons that you can have painful sex. Having a glass of wine treats none of them. But the point being that pain with sex can occur kind of more nuanced or minutely with pain with initial penetration. It can occur with more like with more. I, I should say. A more of a vengeance with pain with deep penetration or certain positions. And it can occur with both. So there is also people out there that can't even have penetrative intercourse. Like I know recently there was an article about Megan Trainer kind of discussing a little bit more about vaginismus, which we don't talk about a lot. What's vaginismus? Vaginismus is an involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor, which oftentimes makes it impossible to have penetrative intercourse. Hmm. So it would make it even impossible to place a tampon in the vagina. It would also make it impossible for anyone to put, you know, if you were using a vibrator to have penetrative intercourse or even to have a speculum placed during the exam. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's debunk a little bit of (laughs) some of maybe the myths or the misconceptions. This is something I heard you talk about on another podcast, but how much does size matter? Because what if somebody doesn't have pain in certain positions or, you know, when it's inserted, whatever, not to make it sound very (laughs) sexy (laughs) insertion, you know, with somebody who's maybe a little bit smaller compared to somebody who's like really big. Yeah. So how much does size matter. <laughs> yeah. And and I so I love this question because I think it's so interesting. So size in general 
doesn't really matter. Okay. Mm -hmm. So our vaginas, our nerves and our muscles, like, like we said before, they're not static. They actually move. They're like blood pressure. They change consistently. Right. I mean, if you can have a baby, if you, if you can, exactly, (laughs) you can have a baby come through the vagina. You can have a large penis enter the vagina. Right. That having been said, as a society, we almost stigmatize this, right? Or we say like, oh, if someone's too big, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. He's really big or like you're really small or tight or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. But truly, despite size, we should be able to have pleasurable intercourse despite what the size of penis or whatever is, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not a real thing. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking of this one Sex in the City episode. (laughs) Do you remember? Yes, I do. Samantha, who always thought she wanted like the biggest dick. And then she meets like Mr. Huge Dick and she can't get it in. And she's trying to like smoke a little weed before (laughs) and like psych herself up and relax. And ultimately she can't. She can't. Fuck him. Yeah, she can't fuck him. But you know, it's interesting, actually, when you bring up the weed thing, only because we now know that there are now I'm getting really nerdy, but that there are cannab- cannabinoid receptors in the vagina. Uh-huh. So we actually are looking studies are looking at using cannabinoids as anti-inflammatories or muscle relaxers mm-hmm. to help with that. So I feel like uh, there are a lot of lubes that use CBD now, too. There like are. Fior- Furia, I think, Fu- is yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Furia is um, one. Yep, yep, yep. Can't remember the other one. I have one <laughs> yes. at home. There's like CBD lo- love lube or something like that. But there's oh, yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. of them. Yes. yes. I feel like they might sponsor the podcast. So I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm forgetting <laughs> the name. But yeah. Are those legit? So they're interesting. So, so here's the thing. There are cannabinoid receptors in the vagina. We know that, right? The the only issue with these lubes, which are, they're great in the sense that they're also, we don't know how much is really being absorbed by the area, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's partly like, as a culture, us needing to, and this, I can probably go on a soapbox about this, but us needing to do more studies on it. And the only way we can do that is by legalizing stuff like this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But yeah, I definitely think there's there's room for it. I think some of them work really, really well. I actually think Foria works great for a lot of patients. And then kind of going back to that that point with her wanting to, to smoke a joint and kind of, you know, sometimes people will do like deep meditative breaths and stuff like that, activating that parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest, not fight and flight. There is merit to this stuff. Mm-hmm. But ultimately... I bet the anxiety of of seeing that big dick in front of her and being like, I'm not going to be able to do this. You clench. You clench, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's probably like she's kind of fighting this internal battle with herself, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, I wanted to ask with intercourse, but just in general, how much does your emotional state affect it? Not to be like, I mean, I'm sure so many people are kind of discounted because it's like, oh, it's all in your head or you're just stressed. But how much is your pelvic health and and things like, what did you call it? Vagin- Vaginismus. Vaginismus. Or vag- is any of that mental, emotional? So I am a firm believer in the mind-body connection, mm-hmm. meaning like I'm what we call an allopathic physician. I went to a, an American medical school. I went to residency here. So I absolutely believe in the body, the biomechanical sciences of the body. But if we don't realize that our minds, all our 
any pain, discomfort, that's all processed through our prefrontal cortex, right? So there is a connection between what's going on up here and what we feel down here. But you even said it before me even thinking it. What do we do when we have anxiety and when we have stress? We have a physiologic response. And I would argue that oftentimes that response is manifested in our vaginas, in our pelvic floor, in this area here. More often than not, because we're taught not to think about it. You know what I mean? We're taught like, don't talk about it. Don't think about it. And so when it does manifest in that way, the first thing someone's going to say is, it's all in your head. Just stop being so anxious. And it's I, and it's almost like what came first, the chicken or the egg? I'm not sure. Maybe I'm a little anxious, but now I'm more anxious because I feel it down here, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like this vicious cycle that keeps going. Mm-hmm. I saw on your Instagram that you said sexual pain is health. Yes. You said markers of sexual dysfunction play a role in mental health, neuromuscular, and cardiovascular health. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. And so sexual health is a field now that's growing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was younger, it wasn't something that people even discussed. When, When you have sex and when you have good sex, okay, when you have pleasurable sex, you release endorphins, you decrease cortisol, you normalize blood pressure. So it affects our overall health in general, okay? And is that increased with orgasm or is it just sex in general? Well, orgasm helps to increase blood flow to the Mm -hmm. area. So absolutely, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that's actually that cardiovascular connection there. Mm -hmm. Yes, so it does. But so that connection with our entire bodies and sexual health, I think is really, really important. You know, I'm Indian, but it's, it's really interesting because in Indian culture, while this is also stigmatized, The book, the Kama Sutra is Indian, right? Mm -hmm. So sexual health as a philosophy has been around forever. Even Ayurvedic practices would say how important tantric, you know, sexual health was at that point. I think at this point in our lives, though, it is important to understand that connection between the neuromuscular, the mental, serotonin, dopamine, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then also more of the physiologic neuromuscular changes. Mm -hmm. I heard you say something interesting Maybe I got it wrong, but you were talking about different treatments and we can get into this for, mm-hmm. you know, various pelvic dysfunction issues. One thing that you said was oxytocin. Can mm-hmm. you supplement oxytocin? So it is a very off-label thing, but okay, it is I was some... like, where do I get this? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Call me. No, just kidding. <laughs> You're my dealer. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, so so oxytocin is known as the love hormone. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, especially if we change blood flow to the area, can have issues with arousal or orgasm. And oftentimes the medications that we have, now remember like in terms of clinical studies, women weren't involved in clinical studies until the last like 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. So all of our data on medications are pretty much based on men, okay? But now that we're doing more data, even the meds that we have to enhance sexual function in women are pretty metza metza. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing out there that you're like, there's either meds that you have to take every single day. And a lot of patients will say to me, I don't want to take a medication every single day if I'm going to have sex even two or three times a week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we have the use of off- off-label oxytocin, which you can either take take sublingually or nasally, mm-hmm. that increases the release of oxytocin in our bodies and actually enhances sexual intercourse enhances it's 
thought to enhance both arousal and orgasm. Mm -hmm. And And that connection. And that connection. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of titrate up on it, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely something where like, if you look at the risk benefit profile, the risks are really, really low. Mm -hmm. The benefits are potentially pretty high. Mm -hmm. So it's always something when someone's interested in it, I think it's a great thing to try, Mm -hmm. you know. And then I also heard you talk about low-dose naltrexone. I'm a former alcoholic, so I know about naltrexone. I never took it, but Mm -hmm. it is something that they give alcoholics, I believe, Mm -hmm. to maybe reduce cravings. I remember when I was in rehab like almost 10 years ago. Yeah. There were a lot of people that took that. So I was interested in how does that work? Yeah. I was. It's so funny. We must be on the same wavelength because as we were talking about this, the first thing that popped in my head was LDN and then Uh you just brought it up. (laughs) Um, So naltrexone can absolutely be used, you know, to treat alcoholism, Mm -hmm. okay, to help with cravings. So now we have this concept of low dose naltrexone. So it's essentially the same medication, but micro dosed. Okay. And it's an amazing medication and we're reading more about it now, but it has immunomodulatory effects. So ultimately it decreases inflammation. Number two, it's really helpful for patients in pain or discomfort because of the inflammatory component that arises in it, but it also works on pain receptors. We can use LDN for kind of like a a whole host of reasoning, but for patients who, or anyone who may have sexual pain, it's an excellent adjunctive therapy. It also, again, comes with very little side effect profile. So when you're titrating up on these meds, you know, the converse is to put someone on on opioids or something that's a little bit stronger, which, I mean, is okay if you need it. But ultimately, if we have other tools, they're important to explore. We all know how important hydration is, but sometimes just drinking plain water gets boring. I know I personally don't always hit my water quota when I'm just trying to drink plain water. So I love to have drinks that have flavor and benefits, and that's where Karma Water comes in. So it's basically a functional beverage, and it's really cool because the active ingredients found in most pre-mixed vitamin drinks and things like kombucha diminish really sharply over time, but Karma's unique push cap protects vitamins and nutrients until you're ready to drink it. So it ensures that you get the full nutritional benefits. And now they have these new hydration kits that combine everything I love about the brand's ready-to-drink line of functional waters with an enhanced level of convenience and customization. So each kit comes with a four-week supply of Karma push caps that can be fully customized and Karma designed a new BPA-free reusable bottle specially designed for its patented push cap. So you can get whichever push caps you want and it's exactly what it sounds like. You push it and all of the vitamins and nutrients and the benefits go down into your water when you are ready to drink it. And customers can choose from a combination of Karma's three existing functional lines to create their customized kit. So You can choose from Karma Wellness Water. You can choose Karma Probiotic Water, which I love, and Karma CBD Water. So you can visit drinkkarma.com slash blonde and use the code blonde at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. That's D-R-I-N-K-K-A-R-M-A.com slash B-L-O-N-D and use the code blonde for 15% off your first order. 
This summer, I'm sure we all want to look and feel our absolute best, but when it comes to cooking and preparing food, hopefully we are so booked and busy and have fun summer travel plans and beach days, so cooking may not be a priority. And that's where Sakara comes in. So Sakara is so much more than just a meal delivery program. It's a nutrition program that's like having a nutritionist and a chef all in one. Their meals are expertly designed to support your summer wellness goals from weight management to clearer skin and boosted energy. And they are also delicious. So I have to tell you guys, I ordered this week and the menu is bananas, no pun intended. They have these amazing goji rose donuts. They had this really good Italian chopped salad with these basil superfood swirls. They have a lot of bowls. They have the AB&J almond butter, granola, and grape chia jam parfait. They have amazing salads. They have these zucchini muffins that I love, the red beet burger that I absolutely love. They have upside down pineapple cake. They have plant-based lasagna bolognese with a really nice green salad, dark chocolate granola with vanilla almond milk. They have vitality boosting tacos, just so much deliciousness. Definitely go to Sakara.com and look at the menu for next week. I promise you are going to want to order. So Sakara brings expertly designed organic nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their science-backed ready-to-eat meals deliver results you can see and feel from weight management and eased bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin. And right now, Sakara is offering my listeners 20% off your first order when you go to Sakara.com slash blonde or enter the code blonde at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash blonde to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash blonde. What are you waiting for? Summer is here, and one of the best things about summer is getting to do all of your favorite indoor things outside. So whether that's cooking, sharing meals, watching a movie, falling asleep, everything is better al fresco. And Article is here to help you update your outdoor space. So they really have everything you need to make things your own from outdoor sofas to dining sets to decor. And they have a really flexible range of styles, which means that you can do more with the space that you've got, whether you want to make it kind of a bohemian vibe, more of a modern contemporary vibe, Italy vibe. They have everything. And The best thing about the outdoors is that it's a really open concept area. So there's so much potential there and you can really make your outdoor space work for you. So I have a few pieces from Article. I always get compliments on my Gabriola ivory boucle chairs. I feel like that is a style that will never go out of style. It's not trendy. It's very classic, very minimalist, but the texture also makes it a really cozy piece and something that you want to sit in all the time. And they have everything from mid-century modern to coastal to industrial to Scandi to boho, and they make furniture shopping really simple. Their team of designers are all about finding the perfect balance between style, quality, and price And they are dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and looks good doing it. Article offers fast, affordable shipping across the U.S. and Canada, and they won't 
leave you waiting around. You pick the delivery time and they'll send you updates every step of the way. When I got my chairs, it was during a time when lead times on furniture were absolutely crazy. You couldn't get anything. And I got my chairs so quickly. They were texting me updates. They assembled everything for me. They even moved my existing chairs and it was just such an amazing experience overall. So right now, Article is offering my listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash blonde and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash blonde for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. You mentioned, I'm like jumping all over the place here, but Mm -hmm. I was thinking about something you said earlier about pain with an IUD. Mm -hmm. So I got an IUD. I've talked about this on the show before. I think it was two years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. And I had the worst pain. It would only come at night. It was so interesting. I mean, it was a little bit uncomfortable, but like excruciating pain at night. And I called the doctor who did it and they said, that I never talked to her, but like a PA said that they would prescribe me an opioid. And I was like, well, first of all, no, like I'm sober. I don't want to. Yeah. Right. You know, and also like, I don't want to have to take a painkiller. And they, and they were like, well, it really wouldn't hurt, but like we can give you something. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's so interesting. So number one, I think that that this is where issues arise, where you can absolutely have pain with IUD insertion. I mean, for a lot of people, even just the the procedure in itself is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But even after the fact, we don't discuss this, where you can have these bouts of discomfort. Sometimes they occur at night. Sometimes they can occur while sitting throughout the day. Sometimes they can be fleeting. Sometimes they can last longer. More often than not, these symptoms are caused by a spasming of the pelvic floor, believe hmm. it or not. And what you describe, which I hear a lot of, which when you say, you know, it, it worsened at night and everyone's always like, well, why does it worsen at night? Right. Like there's is there something. And what happens at nighttime? Inflammation increases. It's part of the reason that people take things like melatonin, which while helping us sleep is also a great anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're cognizant enough to think about that. And, and it's OK if you were to need the opioid. But like you, you're kind of saying, I don't know that that's really root cause treating what was happening for you in that moment. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, would it have kind of zonked you out and you probably would have fallen asleep and maybe woken up with no pain? Sure. But is it actually dealing with that neuromuscular cascade? No. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That symptom, though, interestingly, is and I know you were probably like because it was fleeting and you probably didn't think it's one of the most common things I hear in the office. Interesting. Because IUDs in general are so normal like discomfort with IUD placement and bleeding is so normalized yeah. it's like you'll you'll be fine don't worry about it. I mean you're still I mean being someone who's done the procedure and does it I mean it's still somewhat barbaric you're using like mm-hmm. some pretty sharp tools in an area that has over 70,000 nerve endings right and, yes. and it's like oh <laughs> It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got really interesting responses. Like, obviously, the medication was one thing. And again, I'm like you, like, if that's what you need to do, I don't judge. And I try not to, like, you know, vilify any practice and Western medicine, anything like that. But that experience was very unpleasant. I had it done when I was asleep because I was getting polyps removed. Yeah. And they did it at the same time. But I did not do well. <laughs> oh I don't do well on, like, anything hormonal. And that was another thing I wanted to ask you about. But I had it taken out after like two weeks and mm-hmm. then I was bleeding like crazy. crazy to the point where I almost 
went to the hospital because I was like, this is nuts. And yeah. I was just like, the shit that we deal with. <laughs> that we deal with it, <laughs> so, and that we're just supposed to like deal with, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. But okay, so let's touch on hormones a little bit. And I also want to talk about PCOS and endometriosis and how those things affect this. But do fluctuations in like reproductive hormones throughout different times of the month can that affect pelvic pain i mean are there more are there times where somebody might experience more pain during intercourse or you know putting in a tampon or sitting or working out or whatever it yeah, is absolutely but to different levels okay so one of the most common things i hear is that this whatever symptom it is, whether it's discomfort or difficulty placing a tampon or noticing that sex hurts during certain times in, in your cycle, will often increase right before someone's period. And it can be right after too, but right before is the most common thing. And and so, especially for my pre-menopausal patients who are not even hitting, you know, menopause, they're like, why is this happening? Is there something wrong with my hormones? And while there are fluctuations that occur during that time of the month, there's also changes in inflammatory cytokines that occur when those changes in hormones occur. And that alteration in those inflammatory cytokines will often manifest itself self in different ways, including discomfort with placing a tampon, penetrative intercourse, or even just what people call ovulatory pain. You know, they're like, oh, I have some pain whenever I know I'm going to ovulate because that occurs. So we do see that a lot. And, you know, the question is always, do I have to supplement with hormones? Do I not need to supplement with hormones? And obviously each case is different. What a lot of people don't realize, too, is that while birth control is a great option for certain people, for certain people, long-term birth control in the form of OCPs or birth control pills can actually change what's called your sex hormone binding globulin, which decreases free testosterone which can actually mimic vaginal pain. So Interesting. So I will get a lot of patients come into my office and say, you know, I don't, I've been fine my entire life. I've never had an issue. And more recently, I'm noticing every time I have sex, I'm getting an infection. Or every time I have sex, I'm also noticing some discomfort with, with penetration. And I'm not sure what's going on. And it's because being on long-term birth control pills increases your sex hormone binding globulin, decreases your free testosterone, and that manifests itself locally in the vaginal tissue, which alters vaginal pH, mm -hmm. decreasing lactobacillus, putting you at a higher risk for developing infections because anatomically we have shorter urethras, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what I mean. It's all connected. Wow. You know? Yeah, that's so fascinating. Asking for myself because I'm on spironolactone, does that, mm -hmm. I mean, yes. that decreases <laughs> testosterone too. So can that have the same effect? Yes, it can. Uh-oh. It can. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's really interesting because you brought up PCOS. You are so great. I love it. You're smart. Because I have other patients that are on spironolactone for a ton of, it's a great drug. It's not a bad drug, right? Mm -hmm. You can be on it for a ton of reasons. A lot of people are on it for acne. A lot of people are on it for PCOS. There's many reasons you can be on that medication. Mm -hmm. The real thing is, why does that happen in person A, but not in person B. So it's not that it happens to every single person that takes the medication. We do believe there's some sort of a genetic predisposition there. So for some reason, the way our body metabolizes the medications can be more altered in certain people than it's not in other people. And that could, that's actually what can cause that. Mm -hmm. Yes, but, but in theory, spironolactone in and of itself, because of that mechanism, can cause the mm -hmm. same thing to occur. Okay, noted. Yeah. <laughs> Filing that away. <laughs> yeah. Can things like, you know, people who get 
recurring UTIs, BV, can that be genetic as well? So it can. We're seeing it a lot more recently, though, this mm-hmm. advent of hmm. recurrent BV and recurrent yeast. I have a lot of my like old, more older school attendings send me patients and they'll always say, I never saw this back in the day. I don't know why we're seeing it so much now. I mean, I think there's environmental factors that are probably playing a role, but there are genetic factors as well. Mm-hmm. We now know a lot more about what we call the vaginal microbiome. And I've listened to your podcast and I know you've gotten into the microbiome and the gut and in different areas, but it's important to note that this is also in the vagina as well. Mm -hmm. And our vaginal microbiomes are really important for preventing recurrent infections in terms of UTIs, recurrent infections in terms of BV or yeast, and really keeping that area healthy. And I think as women, we're even in terms of hormones, we're always taught like, you know, we, we take care of our skin, we take care of our bodies perfectly, and we expect our vulvas and vaginas to just be healthy no matter what, but they also need a little TLC, you know, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes that's really understanding the vaginal microbiome, normalizing pH. That's why certain lubricants can be particularly helpful for that, but even sometimes adding a little bit of hormone to the area to normalize that. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to be getting like vagina facials, steaming. (laughs) We don't need to be. I feel like that would probably like exacerbate things if somebody has an issue with that. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, like I am not a huge fan of steaming, perineal sunning, yoni eggs, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, what about vagina eggs? (laughs) (laughs) Like I think that less is more, you Mm -hmm. know, if that works for you, great. But in general, I I like to keep things just less is more for that Mm -hmm. area, you know. Although that having been said, I mean, I do utilize things like Botox to the vagina. And that's tell me more about that. (laughs) Super helpful for patients with what we call vaginismus or pelvic floor dysfunction. Where does it where do you inject it? Inside? Inside. We do it in a way that's called transperineally. So ultimately, you know, if we're getting into the nitty-gritty, you are really kind of going into the levator complex, kind of like one finger in the vagina to these muscles that control the area. Mm -hmm. It works in the same way that Botox works for areas up here. So Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like in the same respect that Botox can help things like migraines, can help things like crow's feet. Botox is a great, what we call neurotoxin, paralyzer in certain forms, but you don't need a ton of Botox, just like you don't need a ton of Botox anywhere. Mm -hmm. Just put a little bit of medication into those trigger points or those areas that's spasming and they stop spasming. And then guess what? Your bladder now contracts, your pelvic floor is relaxed, you completely empty, you don't get recurrent infections, you're able to tolerate bigger dick, Mm -hmm. you know, you're able to (laughs) to have better sex. And then you're also able to sit for longer periods of time. So Mm -hmm. it's actually a great medication. It's been used for very long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And only now are we using it in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that so many people talk about like the yoni eggs and the Kegels and all of that. And really what seems to be of the most benefit are things that relax things in that area. <laughs> exactly. I always say, I think Kegels have the best PR agent because like whoever yeah. talk, right? Like, I mean, everyone thinks that Kegels are going to save their lives. Yes. And more often than not, when I have patients come in, I'm like, don't do Kegels. Kegels are going to make you worse. You know yeah. what I mean? You actually want to do a reverse Kegel. You actually want to release and relax that mm-hmm. area. It's also why some people will say, you know, I don't know why, but I took a little bit of 
Xanax or I did some yoga or I did some mindful meditation and I really felt like that helped. Mm-hmm. Is that my is that weird? I'm like, no, it actually makes total sense mm-hmm. because, you know, like we said, parasympathetic, when you're activating that mindfulness, you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system. When you're doing yoga, what are you doing? You're lengthening the muscles. I mean, just even anatomically, mm-hmm. you're lengthening, decreasing cortisol, decreasing blood pressure. That's also helpful. Also, why we use things like Botox or Valium suppositories or Xanax has an off-label effect of being a muscle relaxer. So mm-hmm. it helps, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So it's interesting. So interesting. I feel like a lot of the the PR for Kegels is around tightening your pussy, right? right. And this is something that you talked about <laughs> on another podcast. And I think it's important to talk about, though, because for whatever reason, like, I feel like even since I was a teenager, you know, there was this myth and this thing that, you know, if you're having sex, you need to be doing your Kegels to keep it tight. So are vaginas in general the same depth, width, all of that? So no, I mean, they can really vary and alter. Mm -hmm. In general, our length, our depths of our vaginas can also alter with blood flow, right? And so just depending on the month, the year, the season, that can be altered by a couple of like, you know, one fourth or or maybe even up to an inch. Mm-hmm. That having been said, this whole concept of needing to tighten our pelvic floor to make sex more pleasurable for either party is complete crap, in mm-hmm. my opinion. You know, I feel like that whole conversation was for the the male. It's for the A, yeah. And it's this whole like stigmatized virgin, you know, construct. Mm-hmm. And ultimately for women, I think that when you, if you have, you do not have issues with your pelvic floor and you're doing Kegels to maintain a tight vagina, mm-hmm. you can put yourself at a higher risk for developing pelvic floor right. issues later yeah. on because you're decreasing blood flow. And also it could potentially affect your orgasms. Mm-hmm. So you might not be, it might be, you might say, why is this taking me so much longer to orgasm? Well, how many Kegels have you been doing all around the clock? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like in magazines, like back in the day, they would say like yeah. to do your Kegels yeah. for, yeah. I can't remember how many minutes a day were prescribed, but yes. I was reading that as like a teenager. I, I remember doing it. I remember the same thing. I remember I read somewhere in an article that someone saying like, if you're sitting at a stoplight, you should be doing yeah. like 60 Kegels or something. Yes, I feel like right. we read the same article. <laughs> Definitely Cosmo, yeah. like back in the early. Yes, it was Cosmo. Early back then. So true. <laughs> so but funny. That's funny. Yeah. Oh my it's gosh. Totally funny. Okay. Well, back to PCOS and endo. Whenever I do Q and A's for the podcast or on Instagram in general, people ask me to have somebody on to talk about endo. And PCOS, but really endometriosis seems to be something that is hard to diagnose, misdiagnosed. When it comes to pelvic dysfunction and pelvic disorder, like, can things just be diagnosed as endo that that are really something else and vice versa? Yes. How does that show up? So endo is so interesting. Number one, it's finally gotten its time in the limelight, which I think it deserves because Mm -hmm. Back in the day, many people were misdiagnosed or underdiagnosing endo. The caveat to that is that now we can have almost everything diagnosed as endo. And the problem with that occurs because 
the treatment for endometriosis varies so significantly and we don't have a standardization to it, meaning that what is endo? So number one, endo is when there is tissue similar to the uterine lining that grows outside of the uterus, okay? And this can result in things like pain during periods. It can result in heavy periods. It can result in infertility in some cases. The caveat being that stage one endo can present with exquisite pain and stage four endo can present with no pain. So diagnosing it becomes really, really difficult. The other thing being that endo, more often than not, and I can say this with full authority in 90% of cases, doesn't occur alone. So most Hmm. patients with endo have concomitant pelvic floor dysfunction. Most patients with endo can have things like interstitial cystitis or vulvodynia or these other terms that that can occur with endo. And the issue, the reason that we have to understand that is because gold standard treatment of endometriosis is laparoscopy. It's a surgery, right? Mm -hmm. To to take out the endometriosis. Mm -hmm. The problem being that endo can regrow, especially in in premenopausal women and women that still have estrogen and progesterone. So I will see a lot of patients come to my office with the diagnosis of endo, having had certain procedures, medications with continued pain. And I always say it's oftentimes we didn't peel that onion. What's the other pain generator? What's happening here? Mm -hmm. So I always think that that's important to note because so many people who suffer from endo are never told that there could be something else going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that happens with some other things. I can't. Well, I can think of one example, but I don't know (laughs) if I want to say it here. I'll tell you off mic. Okay. Um, Where there's this hyper focus on this one thing and then you miss all these other diagnoses. Absolutely. Um, What is the gold standard? You mentioned gold standard treatment, but what is the gold standard for diagnosing endo? It's a laparoscopy. It's going inside of the the belly with a camera and taking a look to see if you have what's called endometrial implants. Got it. That, you know, for a lot of people can cause scar tissue formation, Mm -hmm. which ultimately can, if you get some relief with the endosurgery, but then you get pain with the scar tissue, you now kind of (laughs) traded one problem in for another, right? And then number two, as everything in life, and you know, I think our philosophy is similar. We have to weigh a, the risk-benefit ratio of doing anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really where it becomes important to say, what are my actual symptoms? How will this surgery help? Is it to just look in and diagnose and then put me on a medication? Is it to look in, diagnose, resect, and then put me on a medication? And what if we go in and I don't get relief? Then what, right? So I have a lot of endo specialists, especially here in New York, that will send me patients before they do surgery because they say, before I do this, please evaluate to make sure there's not another generator that we're missing that we could treat with less intervention to see if that helps, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. What about PCOS? That's another thing that I have. (laughs) And PCOS is another entity. And and it's so interesting because all this stuff that we're describing is like that, which I find that GYNs really very rarely truly understand. Mm. That diagnosis is thrown around in Mm -hmm. people. Like, I mean, you can get, you can say, I have a little bit of pain here. The first thing they're going to do is do an ultrasound. They're going to see a cyst and they're going to say, you have PCOS. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Wait, what does that mean? I haven't had, maybe I've had this symptom. I haven't had that symptom. 
So with PCOS, I think it's really important to what I call peel the onion. Okay. Like, so where, where do your symptoms lie? So are you having irregular periods? Are your periods normal? Cause you can have PCOS and have normal periods as well. Are you having any discomfort, any changes in hormones in other areas of your body that you're noticing, changes in hair growth patterns, migraines, things like that? Because as always in medicine, what's our end goal, right? Like what's the end goal? How are we treating this? The medications that we use to treat PCOS right now, very few, in fact, I can't think of any, are really dedicated to root cause like treatment, mm-hmm. you know, and I what think, do we mean? Like birth control, obviously, is the main one. Is the mar- is the metformin main one. exactly spironolactone, spironolactone. Mm-hmm. but ultimately, what are those we meds doing? Right. In terms, even as clinicians, we don't have that answer, yeah. you know, and we're really doing it to say, here, I hope this helps your symptoms, mm-hmm. and I think that's where you know this kind of modern medicine general like lies in this middle ground where like we're great at treatment, but what about prevention and what about really dealing with this root cause in the Mm -hmm. middle? And that's where I think we get so lost, Mm -hmm. you know? So with PCOS, yes, I mean, you can be on multiple different medications, like the three most common are the ones that you mentioned. But ultimately, in terms of symptoms, that's really to help the symptoms. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It can be good symptom management. Yeah. But for me, like I've never, I've never really gotten relief. Like I said, I can't do hormonal birth birth control. Not an option for me. I am psychotic when I take any kind of hormones. (laughs) I mean, I hear that so much, you know? (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's crazy. I could when I was younger. I went on birth control when I was a teenager for my skin. My skin was like pretty fine, but that was what everybody was doing. Right, right. And then I went off it, I think in my early 20s, my periods have always been irregular, very painful, yeah. cystic ovaries. Yeah. You know, so I've had I don't I don't have some of the physical symptoms that you would think of. Right. But Are, is that the spironolactone? Is that why you're on that? I started that because I out of nowhere last summer broke out so badly. I had acne cystic all over acne. my jaw, my neck, and I tried everything. Yeah. And nothing was working. Yeah. And I was like, at first, I was like, I give me the Band-Aid while I figure out sure. what else is going on. And I kind of had like shame about it because I think that a lot of these things have been, especially in wellness culture, you know, like get to the root cause. And I think it's so important. But also I think sometimes like the medication has a time and a place, you know, it was really 100%. affecting my life. And I yeah. was like, I'd never experienced it before. I always talk about this. Like I have so much empathy for people who have skin issues, chronic skin issues that they can't figure out because, you know, I was like in my 30s, I'm like, I've never had this. And it really affects your self-esteem, how social I want it to be, everything. So, yeah, I went on the Spiro and after about six weeks, it cleared up and I've been thinking about going off, but I also have PCOS. So I'm like, well, maybe it's It's helping. helping. Yeah, Um, Yeah. But it's a difficult thing to navigate. And, you know, for me, like it doesn't affect my life too much. Some periods that I get are normal, some aren't. And so I kind of like, I have this weird thing where I'll get a period, I'll have the worst PMS where it's like debilitating anxiety out of nowhere. The cramps are, you know, awful, insomnia, all of that. 
And I'm like, okay, I got to do something about this. Then it passes and I forget. And I think because women like birth children and forget and do it again, we just have this thing where (laughs) we just decide to like push through and you forget and you just think it won't happen again or something. You Um, compartmentalize it, right? You're like, okay, that happened, but I'm going to, you know, I totally hear that. I mean, but I started doing acupuncture. That's been helping me. That's doing herbs. That's actually helping me like more than anything. I love that you said that, though, because I think that that's like it's hard to like kind of rationalize wellness culture with medical culture often. And, and, And for what I do, it's kind of like exactly like you're saying, there has to be this middle ground because oftentimes with PCOS, endo, vulvodynia, pelvic floor dysfunction, we don't have the answers that people are looking for. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it's not like having a common cold where you're like, here's a medication. I'll see you in six months. That's not how this works. Right. And so we we need medications as rafts. But like you're saying, understanding that they're often a raft, but understanding that they're helpful. I mean, and that's why meds come on board. Mm -hmm. But what I always tell patients, kind of like what you're doing is like, take the medication and yeah, we can supplement with other things that may be helpful to kind of decreasing inflammation on a more global level. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, these medications are what we have. They're the only tools that we have in this day and age. So I think they're important to use. And we have to kind of break that stigma around them, just like kind of these conversations do, because I see so many patients come into my office with the same thing. They're like, I've been on spironolactone for a long time. And then sometimes they're even scared to come off because mm-hmm. they're like, I can't go back there. You know, yes. like I'm actually OK. It doesn't really affect me in other way, any other way, shape or form. I'm like, stay. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been me. I'm kind of like, well, I, maybe I should go off. My skin has been fine. And, you know, I had other things going on last summer that I think were contributing yeah. to it. But then I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I don't have I don't feel that I have any side effects or anything. So, yeah, yeah I I totally get where <laughs> people are coming from when they're in that position where it's yeah. like, well, it's helping. I feel like people do that with birth control, too. And I think totally. birth control has gotten a bad rap like Mm -hmm. in the wellness Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. but I love your approach I also just in the last four years that I've been doing this show I was kind of on one end of the spectrum in the beginning where it was like very alternative health and western medicine doesn't get it and then I went to the other end of the spectrum where I was like no science science only not alternative and now I'm like somewhere in the middle middle. like I have a very moderate approach to my health and wellness. And I'm very open to like everything. Yeah. Um, And I think there's a time and a place for both. Exactly. And I think the best modern medicine lies in the middle there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Lies with understanding the science of it that we know that often changes, right? We talk about science and then the next year we say, oh, wait, that's not true. Now it's this. Mm -hmm. And so it's so true. It's changing all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think a lot of people not to go off on a tangent, but, you know, they'll get off, get up on a soapbox and say, well, the science is wrong. And it's like, but the the core of science is humility. And right. any scientist will tell you, like, they don't know no. what they don't know. And exactly. it does change all the time. Exactly. So it's not a reason not to trust it. Exactly. And what may work for one person doesn't work for the other person. Yes. And that's quite normal, too. Yeah. And just like those skin changes that you're saying you were noticing kind of on your face. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. The last kind of aspect of that is that I see that a lot in patients with 
vaginal pain and vaginal discomfort. And they'll Mm. say, I never had this before, but I'm having this itchiness or this burning or this sensation. And I I just kind of bring it up because the vaginal tissue is skin like skin anywhere else in our body. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes when we're treating it, we're treating it the exact same way. We're trying to say, there must be a few things that are going on that's causing this to happen, but let's get you on a medication. Let's get you to that next step and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Is there one kind of myth or misconception that you can think of that we didn't talk about that you want to debunk? Yeah. (laughs) You know what I've been hearing a lot lately and people have been sharing with me on social media? This concept of giving people a UTI. So Mm. more recently, I've seen on social media, people have been saying that if one partner has a UTI, if you have sex with that partner, you now can have a UTI, almost like an STD. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really important to debunk. Okay, vaginal pH is important. You know, we can have changes in our vaginal pH that lead to infections, but things like UTIs are not sexually transmitted diseases. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for relationships. You know what I mean? Because otherwise I've had people in my office and they're looking at their partner like, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) Uh like, no, no, no. It's not something that you're kind of transferring back and forth. So I feel Mm -hmm. like that's a huge myth that more recently has to be debunked because Mm -hmm. it's something that I'm seeing a lot. The other question I get is like, am I allergic to my partner's semen. I mean, I get that question huh. because some people will have sex with their partner and they'll say, after sex, I'm really itchy and I've been tested for every STD and it's all negative, but there must be something happening, right? Mm-hmm. We say to that is semen inherently is alkaline. The vagina is is acidic by nature. And so oftentimes if there are discrepancies in the pH and lactobacillus, you can have inflammation that occurs that can cause these symptoms, Mm -hmm. but it's not an STD. And Mm -hmm. so that's just important (laughs) to note too. (laughs) I heard something, I don't know if this is true or not, but about UTIs and somebody was like, well, you can get a UTI like if you've been sleeping with one person and then you sleep with somebody else because like you're vagina and the ph is responding to this new dick yeah is that true no (laughs) i I heard it like recently too and i was like i didn't know that (laughs) no this has been going around lately this exact thing so it's not is that what you were talking about too it was that and then and then i think like a couple of people sent me these tiktok videos on this whole like utis being sexually transmitted yeah Mm -hmm. new dick (laughs) but how do i say this our vaginas are pretty amazing. And mm-hmm. I know I sound ridiculous, but they really are amazing. And our vaginal microbiomes are recreating themselves every moment of every day. If you're someone that had sex with a partner and then later on had sex with a different partner, that is not now causing you <laughs> to have some sort of, you know, like infection or giving a UTI or starting to spread these things. And we have to do, we have to definitely debunk that myth because it plays a role in the stigmatization of sex, you know? And it's like, as women, you should be able to have sex with as many partners as you want, you know, not like just one partner and say, oh no, like if you want to have sex with two people, do it. And you are not going to cause one of them to have a UTI or not, you know? (laughs) Okay, debunked. Amazing. (laughs) Well, tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, yeah. I'm on social media as Pelvic Pain Doc on Instagram. And um, you can find me in New York City. Um, We're on 60th and 5th, (laughs) www.pelvicpaindoc.com. Thank you so much for coming. This was so fun. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at Lori. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.